Amen. Thank you, Sheila. It's good to see you tonight. Yeah, it's supposed to get cold, so I pray that uh, all your heaters are working and you find a nice warm spot to spend the next few days when you're not having to be outside. But if you do, dress warm. Be careful. Uh, I'll tell you what, I've gotten spoiled. My plants have gotten spoiled. Uh, I actually made a visit to a church member the other day, and azaleas were in bloom at the front of her house. Um, I've got things budding that shouldn't be budding, so uh, there's a lot of deception going on about what time of the year it is. So with that in mind, we're going to talk about deception tonight. <laughs> so have your Bibles, turn with me if you will to 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look in chapter 3, beginning in verse 18 and reading through verse 23, and uh, talk to you tonight about dealing with deception. You know, the Bible begins with deception. Uh, we have the serpent who deceives Eve. Uh, he comes uh, as someone who is trying to help her out, somebody who wants to give her something that God himself had not offered, and that was for her to know the things that God knows and be wise like God. And, and so he's able to deceive Eve into thinking that it will be okay to take a bite of the fruit that God had said you will not eat or you will die. And then we move on later on in the Bible, we come to Abraham, a man of faith, a man who's a friend of God, but Abraham practices deceit. At least on two occasions, he lied about his wife to two different men, which created all kinds of problems that um, <clears throat> fortunately God stepped in and, and helped out his friend. And then we move on just a couple of generations, we find Jacob, who was the great deceiver. In fact, most people, when they think of deception in the Bible, almost immediately their mind goes to Jacob, because he was definitely a deceiver as he deceived his father uh, concerning uh, the blessing. Uh, as, he can, as he also deceived him in, in terms of, the, of what was to come to the, to the firstborn child. Everything that Jacob did, he did with deception. And then later on, he himself was deceived. Well, we could move on to when the Israelites were coming into the land of, of Canaan. And of course, the Gibeonites came. Uh, they had made themselves intentionally look like they had traveled from a far country. When in fact, they were one of the nations that were supposed to be destroyed. And because Joshua did not consult the Lord but just simply made a decision, he was deceived. And we can move on in other places in the Bible as well. I'm not going to go through all of the deceptions of the Bible, but, but you can see that throughout the Bible there is deception that takes place either from God's people or to God's people. And, and one of the great concerns that Jesus had with his disciples, one of the great concerns that the early apostles had with the church was that they themselves would not be deceived and so when Paul is writing to the Corinthians who are already got other issues lots of issues going on one of the things he's concerned about is that they are allowing themselves to be deceived and in fact not just being deceived by someone else but deceiving themselves so that brings us to our passage of scripture because I want us to look tonight at how you and I in the world in which we live which there's a lot of deception going on in our world a lot of deception in terms of advertising, a lot of deception in terms of how people are presenting themselves as who they are or what they are when they're not. There's a lot of deception that's just taking place left and right in our lives. And it's important for Christians to understand how to deal with deception. Let's look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. The Apostle Paul is writing, he says, Guard against self-deception, each of you. If someone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become foolish so that he can become 
wise. For the wisdom of this age is foolishness with God, as it is written. He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about mere mortals. For everything belongs to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, everything belongs to you. And you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. Let us pray. Father, we do praise you and thank you for these few verses. It reveals to us, Lord, an important truth that as Christians we need to know in the world in which we live. And Lord, you see the world in which we live. You know the things we are facing today in our society. You know the things that are taking place in churches. You know the things that Christians are having to deal with. And Lord, I just pray that tonight will be an opportunity for us to examine your word so that, Lord, once again, your Holy Spirit will be our teacher, our guide. And Lord, through the wisdom and the guidance and the understanding that you can give us, and we pray that you will, Lord, we might receive that which we need to hear tonight so that, Lord, we will not be deceived, nor will we deceive ourselves, but rather, Lord, we will find ourselves being wise because our wisdom comes from you. Lord, do your great work in this place tonight, and if there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, Lord, may, not, may they not listen to the deception of the world concerning your Son, Jesus, but Lord, by the work of your Holy Spirit tonight, may they see and understand clearly that there is a Savior who can save them from their sin, who can give them eternal life and life abundantly now. And Lord, that that opportunity that gift is available even today for those who would turn from their sins and turn to a savior who will forgive and who will make them a new creation a new person so lord would you do your great work in this place tonight we'll be careful to praise you and thank you for all that you do in jesus name amen so as we look at this passage of scripture several things i just want to point out tonight as we look at this passage together and looking at how to deal with deception in order to deal with deception you and I need to first be able to recognize the power of deceptive forces. And I think that's one of the problems that Christians have today is they really don't understand the power of deceptive forces. Let's look at that kind of carefully. It's not all found in this passage of Scripture, but there are passages of Scriptures that let us know this. For example, in the forces of deception, there is the power of sin to deceive. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 3 verse 13 alerts us to the fact that sin itself can deceive us and make us think that it is able that it, it will not harm us. In fact, again, we go back to the book of uh, Genesis, what we've been looking at, and in the garden and when the serpent appears, uh, it does not appear that, that that fruit, whatever it was, would actually kill somebody. After all, everything else in the garden produced life and was good to eat, and, and so the serpent had deceived, but Sin has a power to deceive us into making us think that it won't be as bad as perhaps God says it is. It won't be as bad as others have made it out to be. I think most everybody here tonight can point to a time in your life where you thought that if you committed a certain sin, it would not go as badly as it wound up going. That something began to happen, something uh, that we did not anticipate began to un 
to unravel or began to unfold because of something we did that at the time we did not see all the way out the ripple and the consequences it would have in our life. And most of us can say there's been something in our life or some things in our life in which that happened. But there is the power of sin to deceive us if we don't recognize sin as having that kind of power. But there's something else that has the power to deceive, and of course we know who that is. That's, that's Satan. He was the serpent who had the power to deceive Eve, and throughout biblical history and throughout history of the world, Satan has deceived people. In fact, he's not only deceived people, he's deceived churches, he's deceived nations. And not just Satan, but the demonic forces and all those forces of evil that uh, Paul said that we wrestle against, because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against all these powers and principalities, all these forces that are able to give deception as deception is necessary. And so Satan certainly has the power to deceive. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 3. But, but Satan certainly has the power to deceive. Demons have the power to deceive. In fact, when Paul writes to Timothy, and he's talking about the end times, he talks about how people will listen to deceiving evil spirits. That's, those are demons. In other words, that, that they themselves will bring deception to God's people and to God's church. Again, Jesus warned his disciples not to be deceived, not be deceived by people who claim to be a Messiah, not deceived by people who claim to be from him or of him. The Apostle Paul had to warn the church over and over. Peter had to warn the church. John had to warn the church about deceiving spirits. All of them had to warn the church that you can be deceived because of Satan and demonic forces. Deception is very real, and there is the power to deceive from these evil entities. There's the power of self-deception, though. Perhaps to me, that's the most tragic, and that's what Paul addresses here in verse 18, guard against self-deception. There's a lot of people today, even in churches, who have deceived themselves into thinking that something is true when it is not true. A lot of people have bought into things that they've heard, part of what I call popular theology, things that are right now culturally taught that has nothing to do with what biblical truth uh, teaches and says. There are people today who have deceived themselves that, that God is okay with immorality. There are people today who have deceived themselves in the, saying that God is okay with people living their lives however they want to, so long as it's based on love and acceptance and all these other things. People are deceived. And they have deceived themselves. I marvel today that we live in a time where people are so easily uh, deceiving themselves and in so many different ways. But the forces of deception must be recognized in order to properly deal with deception. And there's the power of society to deceive. Again, if we look at this passage of Scripture, uh, we see that uh, he says guard against self-deception. Uh, because there are a lot of contemporary thoughts and thinking out there that will certainly allow us to deceive ourselves. But it goes on to talk about the fact that if anyone uh, thinks he is wise in this age, let him become foolish. There's a lot of people today who would say the exact same thing today in 2020. That they think in this age they are wise. Wiser than God. In this age they think they are wiser than God's word. In this age, they think they are wiser than what biblical truth is all about. And again, they have been self-deceived. But they've also experienced the power of the deception of society. 
You know, if you think about it, society puts a lot of pressure on us. We've talked about, you know, when we were in school, how we all of us had to deal with peer pressure. You know, peer pressure is something we usually hear our kids talk about when they want to do something that everybody else is doing. Or they want to do something that they say all the other parents are letting their kids do. You know, there's a marvelous way to deal with that, say, name some. Yeah. <laughs> but the problem is we've got a lot of people today who think as society will certainly push on them, that they must do certain things, they must conform to certain things, certain values, certain ways of doing things, because it's what society says to do. And that is the power of society to deceive in terms of contemporary thinking, in terms of contemporary standards, in terms of contemporary interests, what they think people uh, believe is most important. Jesus spoke to this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. Contemporary values. I mean, if you look down in verse 21... Uh, there, there, there was the concern of the Apostle Paul that, uh, that they would put their values based on an individual rather than on the Word of God and on God Himself. And please don't think I'm judging. Please don't think I'm criticizing. Please don't think I'm after anybody. <laughs> but there's a lot of Christians today who have latched on to, I'll call them Christian celebrities in the ministry. And by doing so, they basically have come to the point where they're going to read every book that person's written, attend or listen to everything they say. And sadly, there are those times when those people fall away from the faith or they reveal themselves to maybe not be in total agreement with the Word of God. And that creates a problem in a person's life because suddenly there's a crisis of, well, wait a minute, this person really loves God. This person really loves the Bible. If they believe this, maybe that's something I ought to believe. There is that possibility, and I have seen it happen many times, even within the church, where people have fallen under the power of society to deceive by accepting contemporary values and contemporary interests and standards and ways of thinking simply because somebody they respect, somebody they admire, has already fallen into that deception. Folks, we have to guard ourselves, but you have to know the power of deception to know how to deal with it. And know where it can come from. It can come from so many different ways. And also not only know the forces of deception, but in the power of deception is seen in its fruit. Because out of it comes mistaken philosophies, which is what Paul talks about here, the folly of worldly wisdom. And we won't revisit that because we saw that earlier in the letter. But basically Paul has stated over and over that there's a huge difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God because the wisdom of the world is foolishness compared to the wisdom of God and the wisdom of God to the world seems foolish but which foolishness will you go after my choice I pray it's your choice is to go after the foolishness of God which the foolishness of God is far superior to the greatest wisdom of mankind we have to be careful here as we look at deception that the fruits of deception is that people then produce from their life into the lives of other people the false thoughts of what the world teaches, what the world believes is wisdom. It's also the, one of the fruits of deception is misplaced trust. See, Eve basically put her trust more in the serpent than she did in God because she listened to the serpent and said, well, what he's saying makes sense to me. I'm going to go with what he says over what God says. And again, there's a lot of Christians today who make their choice of what they're going to do in their life, what they're going to believe in their life, based on what someone else has said rather than what God has said. We have a lot of that going on 
It's because that's one of the fruits of deception. I've actually watched this happen in families. I've watched parents who have bought into a little bit of what the world is teaching, and they've, they've been somewhat deceived in terms of embracing contemporary thoughts and standards and interests and values, and maybe only to a small degree. But what happens is, I've seen the fruits of that come to pass in the life of their children. And from that, the deception continues to grow. And I've watched entire families walk away from the faith. I've seen second and third generations of people who had been godly, who had been in the church, but who had embraced some, some of the deception of the world, and it produced terrible fruit of misplaced trust, mistaken philosophies, taken of the worldly wisdom, and miscalculated values. Taking man and material above God. It is so easy to do, and listen, we don't need to be judging others. We need to be looking at ourselves because so often we ourselves can be deceived. And we can be deceived. You know, the thing about deception is oftentimes you don't really know that you have been deceived until it's too late. You know, I have observed, I, I like to watch those animal channels. Now, some of you probably can't handle some of the animal channel, channels I watch because sometimes it can be quite gruesome, you know. Because I like to see the predator get the prey. I like to watch these things and how the world and animals interact. And I watch these animals that look like a leaf until whatever it is they're looking for thinks it's a leaf and comes to them and suddenly they're no more because the leaf ate them. Or I've seen animals that can look like a stick and whatever it was thought it was a stick until it was too late. The stick ate them. I've watched all these other animals that uh, can, uh, uh, when I grew up in Florida, we had all these different reptiles and lizards and everything else, but I, I, my favorite thing was to watch the chameleons turn color so they could be hidden until that insect or that bug or whatever it was they were looking for got too close because they didn't see. They were deceived into thinking they were okay. Most of us that like to fish, what do we do? We practice deception on the fish. We make them think that, that whatever it is they're coming after is something they can't resist. They must have, and when they get it, well, they've been had. So as I look at the passage of Scripture tonight, as I look at this and think about how we need to deal with deception, first we need to recognize the power of deceptive forces, how easily it is that we can be deceived from so many different ways, whether sin or Satan or self or society. But let's also look at how to resist the pressures of these deceptive factors. Well, the first thing is to recognize they exist so that, as Paul said here, do not deceive yourself. In other words, guard against self-deception. So there's something about what Paul is saying here that you and I must take hold to and say, hey, I'm in danger of being deceived. I don't want to be deceived. Therefore, I'm going to take measures not to be deceived. How do you do that? How do you make sure that you're not being deceived? Well, you need to see yourself in the light of God's Word, in the light of reality, not in terms of imagination or fantasy or what we would like to have happen, but rather what is, what God said is, is what the world is and what we are and who He is and what His Word is and simply embrace what God says and who God is. That's hard to do. Again, we have a lot of people today who question even the most fundamentals of the faith. 
They question whether the book of Genesis is actually history. Well, when I hear somebody talk about how they are questioning whether or not the book of Genesis is actual history, well, I already know they've been deceived. They've already been deceived by what the world says. They've already been deceived about what certain groups of people have said in terms of theories about what's out there rather than accepting God. Listen, you don't need to deceive yourself by embracing things. You need to see yourself in reality. And reality is not a life of theory. I've come to the point in my life where if somebody gives me a theory, I'll listen to it. But if you can't make it actually happen, if I can't observe it and watch it over and over and see that it actually happens, to me, it's worthless. Compared to God's Word, it's rubbish. Particularly if it works against God's Word. There's a lot of things out there that people are telling us about our planet. There's a lot of things that people are saying out there about mankind. We need to see ourselves as Christians in the light of what is real and and what God says is real, and also to set ourselves in a place of blessing where God can work in our lives so that we're not being deceived into thinking, as many people have, that God will bless no matter what. We need to put ourselves in a place where God can bless us, and that is to trust God, walk with God. All right, let's move on. Resisting the pressure of deceptive factors means we don't deceive ourselves. It means we don't let others deceive us. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, Paul warns about this. And there's other passages of Scripture where Paul warns about not being deceived by other people. In 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, a book that we recently covered on Wednesday nights, one of the things that Paul warned about, don't be deceived. Don't let people tell you things that aren't true. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people in the church who hear things that aren't true. They embrace it. They get worried about it. They get anxious about it. Two things about that review what god's word says about it if something comes to you and you are perplexed and you don't have an answer you don't know what the real deal is whether what this person says or true is not then be like the bereans that paul encountered in his missionary journey listen paul was speaking truth but they didn't accept that right off they said well wait just a minute we've never heard anything like this before and before we embrace what you're saying we're going to go to the Scripture. And we're going to check out what you're saying and see if this works with what God has already said. Because the Bereans understood God's not going to change His Word. And if He's promised things and said things are going to happen, they're going to happen. So what Paul is saying, let's just see if it meshes with what we know in the Scripture. Guess what? They found out what Paul said was true. And I love what the writer says. They were more noble than the others, including people in Thessalonica. Why? Because they had gone to the Scriptures to verify what they believed. You know what will solve a host of problems in the church today? If when God's people hear things that they don't know about, don't understand, maybe it's the first time they've ever heard it before, if they would just simply go to the Word of God and get the scope, a scoop on that, the right, the right truth about what it is. Now, you know, since I've been a pastor here, I've thrown a lot of things at you that Frankly, a lot of people you've told me, I've never heard anything like this before. Well, I don't expect you to embrace what I say and say, oh, well, Brother Wally said it. Well, that must be so. Do not ever do that. Do not ever say, well, Brother Wally said it, therefore it's true. You search the Scriptures. You make sure. So that when somebody asks you, why do you believe what you believe? You don't say, well, because my preacher said it. Or because I had a Sunday school teacher that said it. Or some deacon in the church said it. 
No, you say, I believe this because God's Word says it, and I believe God's Word. People all the time ask me, what do you believe? Well, why do you care what I believe? I believe a lot of things that aren't necessarily true or probably not necessarily good. What matters is what God said and that you believe Him. You know, when I raised my kids, I, I told them this, and, and I'm in it. I'm teaching you to obey me, not so that all the rest of your life you're going to obey me. I'm teaching you to listen to what I say, so one day you're going to listen to what God has to say, and you'll do what He says. And as a pastor, that's what I want for this church. I want you to go around listening to what I say. I want you to listen to what God says. If I'm speaking the, the Word of God, then that's good. But I would like it if you check me out. And then you believe it because God's Word said it. So that when you act and you make decisions in your life and you hold a certain values, they're from God's Word. So resist the pressure of deceptive factors. And that includes crafty uh, preachers and teachers. And, and that was one of the great concerns of the early church was a lot of people were crafty and gifted in speech. But they were speaking things that were, were not true. So don't let others deceive you. Review what's said as the light of God's Word. Reject what is not true. Reject it. You know, one of the saddest things I saw, and I don't know whether it's true or not, so, <laughs> so don't take me at this as 100%, but, but I, I've been fascinated with dinosaurs and people in the same period of time of history. And, and so there's a lot of evidence out there that there are uh, dinosaur tracks and, and human-like tracks all in the same strata and in the same place. And so I was listening to this guy on TV, and he had gone to some park. I don't remember if it was a state park or a national park, but, but he'd gone to some park. And many, many years ago, you know, back when Fred Flintstone and the cartoons were all big and everything, well, <clears throat> they, had, uh, they had this uh, place that you could walk out to, and there were these rocks, and and in some of those rocks were fossils, but they were fossilized footprints. And so, so there was a footprint of dinosaurs and there were a footprint of people. And so what they had were they had these signs that said, dinosaur tracks, caveman tracks. I mean, remember when everybody just talked about cavemen. So, so caveman tracks, dinosaur tracks. No problem, no, no issue there. Well, <clears throat> many, many years later, this man decided to go back to the park to see these tracks again. In fact, he came. He, in fact, I think he probably brought a camera that he didn't have the first time, and he may have even brought somebody. I don't remember, but I do know he went back to the site, and when he got there, he only saw the dinosaur tracks. There were no human tracks, and the signs were gone. And so he went into the office there where one of the rangers was, and said, hey, um, I got a question. I said, when I was young, I came out here, and at that time there were dinosaur tracks and there were human tracks, and they were right side by side, and said, I've come back, and I've gone to that place, and I'm quite certain it's the exact place, and this is where I was at. He said, but all of a sudden now all I see are dinosaur tracks, and the signs are gone that said, dinosaur tracks, caveman tracks. Ranger said, I don't know anything about that. You must be mistaken. I've been here many years, never seen anything like it. Well, the man exited out thinking, well, I don't know what's going on here. And an old gentleman sitting in that office followed him out. He said, I heard what you asked. 
and what you said is true. He said, you did go to the right spot. And he said, there were those signs that said dinosaur tracks and caveman tracks. And he said, they're in a building over there. He pointed to where the little shed was. He said, those, those signs are in that building. And the man said, well, how do you know? He said, because I put them there. Because you see, it no longer fit the paradigm of what science has been saying or talking about. And all of a sudden, the evidence was destroyed. And this is, I'm listening to this man being interviewed, talking about his story. But you see, you and I must be aware of the fact that the world wants to deceive us. People want to deceive us. Perhaps even people who call themselves scientists want to deceive us from time to time in certain things. But folks, you and I must never be deceived in the fact that God's Word is true. And what God says is true. Resist the pressures of deceptive factors. And then I'll close with this. Also, receive the plentiness of divine favor. What is Paul wanting them to ultimately be able to have as he talks about guarding against self-deception, as he talks about not engaging and embracing the wisdom of this age, but rather embracing uh, the wisdom of God? Because it brings down to verse 21 at the end, for everything belongs to you. And then he goes on to say, whether you're following Paul or Apollos or Cephas, look, don't get caught up with these people. They're all human beings. He said... <clears throat> The world, life, death, the present, or even the future, everything belongs to you. See, the Lord has given us in life many divine opportunities to know the Lord, to have the Lord save us and dwell us, but, but we have the opportunity as Christians by the work of the Holy Spirit, and we've already talked about this earlier in Paul's writing here to the Corinthians, that because we have the Holy Spirit, we can be taught by the Lord. We can read those scriptures and have the Holy Spirit unlock to us what the scriptures is saying so it becomes understandable, so it makes sense. We can be taught of the Lord. Now, Paul boasted that he himself had been taught, taught many things by nobody but the Lord. Now, I'm not saying you're going to get special visions and dreams and anything like that. Most of the time, that's what happens to people who claim to have a special knowledge from God and turns out that they're leading people astray. So... Be careful about that. But what I am saying here is you can go to the Word of God under the leadership and, and work of the Holy Spirit and be taught by the Lord. The second part of the divine opportunity we have is that we can be true to the Lord. We have an opportunity in the world which is false and against God to be true to the Lord, to be a witness for God. We have that opportunity. We also have an opportunity and the world in which we live, to be tested by the Lord, which is, I think is life itself. I think life itself is a test. I think life itself is a challenge. I think life itself, because of all of the ups and downs and because of all the sorrows and headaches and, and difficulties and things that God says ultimately is going to wipe away all pain, all sorrow, all death, all crying, all these things are going to be gone, is because right now we live in a world like that and, and through that we're being tested. But the Lord provides. There's also in death the triumph that we have in the Lord. Boy, I like what Paul says. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when we get there, he talks about the resurrection. 
He's quite plain because Jesus has been resurrected. If we believe in Jesus, we'll be resurrected. And when we're resurrected, death has no power over us. None. That's the future. And then we move on and look at the fact that one of the other divine opportunities given to us, besides being taught of the Lord, being able to be true to the Lord, being tested uh, in, in this life, uh, experiencing triumph in the Lord, is we're able to receive things from the Lord, things both present but also things to come, which is why it says to trust in the Lord. Everything belongs to us, whether life and death, in life and death, the present or the future, Paul says, everything belongs to you. And then I love how he closes this little passage where he says, and you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. Folks, I hope that you understand what I'm trying to say tonight based on this passage of Scripture is, and the warning that the Apostle Paul gave them is a warning that needs to be probably stated just as much, if not more, today, because, you know, pictures. You know, one thing, it's easy to be deceived by pictures. Again, I'm just going to use social media as an example because I marvel at sometimes how quickly Christians can be deceived. But I noticed that some people made some false pictures. When I was going through this thing about dinosaurs and humans and so forth, uh, earlier I had done some research about giants and uh, uncovering evidence of uh, the giants that the Bible speaks about in Genesis. And, and, you know, there was a lot of neat photographs that I uncovered that had people with huge skeletons, large heads. And you're like, whoa, why ain't that making the news? Because it looks like it turned out all that was deceptive. Christians were being deceived by false pictures that had been created. You know, they have something called Photoshop. By the way, I've noticed a lot of people on Facebook, their profile pictures have been Photoshopped. Because I've seen them in real life and they don't look like that. A lot of deception. <laughs> but folks, don't be deceived. Even if it's something you say, oh, I want that to be true so bad. Oh, that has to be true. Oh, my goodness. No, don't be deceived. There's a lot of things out there being marketed to Christians so that we look bad when we embrace it. You don't have to embrace anything on social media. You don't have to embrace anything that's out there in media. You don't have to embrace anything out there to know that God's word is true and we need to live according to the Word of God. And if we practice that and we're not worried about all the externals, then the reality is we're less likely to be deceived. How easy it could have been if Eve had just said to the serpent, you ain't fooling me. You're just one of the creatures God made. And he said not to eat this, and I'll not eat the tree. I'll not eat the fruit of the tree. How easy it would have been if Abraham had just believed God and his promises and so he didn't have to try to deceive other people about his wife. How easy it would have been if Joshua had just simply trusted the Lord and gone to him and said, Lord, I got these folks here. Are they real or are they not real? But so many times we are deceived 
because we don't understand the power of deception. And we don't understand all the ways in which we are pressured into being deceived. And because we just simply overlook all that God has already said we have in Jesus. Guard against deception. Let's pray.